Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. Across Europe, North America, parts of South America, much of the world, for the past year, schools have been shut. Today we want to do a special investigation into this. Was it the right decision? What's the reality on the ground? What is the impact on children's lives? And do we, at the end of it, think it was the right moral decision? So we'll be talking to three people, two teachers and one teacher-turned-politician, to find out what they make of it. Catherine Burbell Singh. I don't think there's any such thing as good online learning. She's a headmistress from the Michaela Community School in Northwest London. Miriam Cates, MP. This is a crisis that needs a moral direction as well as a scientific one. She's an MP for the governing Conservative Party here in the UK. She was elected in 2019 in a North of England seat near Sheffield. And Alex Gutentag. Someone has to step up and say that this is not right. She's a public school teacher from Oakland in California, telling us a very different story from a different part of the world. I started by asking Catherine Burble Singh what kind of impact she had seen in her school. What have you been seeing this past year in your school amongst kids and their parents? What sort of impact has it had, all of these school closures? Huge impact. Um, I think that uh, the problems... Uh, are exacerbated even more so in the inner city with disadvantaged families. Uh, there can be lots of children at home in small environments, in flats and so on. The children don't have anywhere to go. And uh, parents are not necessarily able uh, to help support the learning at home. Either, well, they might not speak English very well. If they do, they don't necessarily know lots about maths and science and so on. And um, uh, they they can't support. And so the only support they've got is, is through their teacher, long distance online. And I think that, uh, I think the government and everybody really is sort of kidding themselves into thinking, well, it's okay because we've got online learning. 
Uh, clearly, we don't have any other option. If we've got the schools closed, well, we need to do online learning. And Andrew Adonis has campaigned uh, to make sure that uh, children in the state sector are also accessing live lessons um, on Zoom, uh, just like the kids are doing in the private sector, as if that's some kind of solution. And that means that it's all OK. And I would say it's a lot more complex than that. Um, I don't think there's any such thing as good online learning. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't necessarily think that before. I think it now through the varieties of experiences that I've had over the last year. Uh, we've done video lessons. We've done, we're now currently doing Zoom lessons. Last lockdown, we only did Zoom lessons for our six formers and then we did video, video lessons for everybody else. We use Google Classroom. Google Classroom is good in the sense that they can submit work that way. But well, who's done the work? Lots of them will just be copying the work off each other. Um, they will. They have WhatsApp groups, uh, homework groups, where one person does the first five questions, the next person does the next five questions, and then they share all the answers together. There is no way of holding children to account uh, long distance. And if you have a stay-at-home mom uh, who's there watching the kid and making sure they're online doing the stuff and then submitting the correct work and so on, well, it's not as bad. That kid doesn't get hit as badly by this. But if no one's watching the child, then, um, and he's a bit naughty, he's not gonna do very much. And frankly, I would say for many children, they don't even show up at all. You know, when I say many children, I don't mean necessarily, uh, you know, many of our children, but there are some of our children who don't show up. But I'm talking about the cross the country, and I've spoken to many teachers all over the place. You know, um, some schools, they're having to uh, give Zoom lessons to 100 children in a class. And the reason for that is that there are some teachers at school, well, some teachers are just are ill, some teachers are self-isolating, some teachers are in school uh, delivering lessons to the vulnerable kids and to the key worker kids. So then they have to collapse classes and there's 100 kids in the lesson. You cannot possibly hold children to account you can't check for understanding. Even with us, with a class of 30, uh, you, you, you can't check for understanding. Mute, unmute, et cetera. And not only that, but people just imagine, oh, you've got them all online and you can see all the lovely faces and it's fine. Um, that can't be the case. In a more challenging area, you've got to have their videos off. You've got to have them muted because otherwise, because we don't necessarily know they are, you can get what's called Zoom bombed. Um, and Zoom bombed means some somebody, it could be one of the kids or it could just be one of their older brothers or uncles or whoever, comes in and shouts some obscenity over everyone and disrupts the lesson. Now that won't happen at the private schools, and but it's something that's a real problem. Now, um, so you've got to have various rules and regulations that mean then that you don't have necessarily this lovely situation where everybody's chatting and to, uh, asking questions and so on. So because you can't do all of that, the learning is very restricted. What we found first lockdown for our sixth formers, and our sixth formers would be the best at take, taking part in learning, online learning. You know, they, they all showed up. Uh, they're really committed to their learning. They're working hard. They don't need motivation in the way that a, that a naughty year nine needs motivation. And um, we found when they came back to school in June, they had retained about 20% of what uh, we had taught them. And this isn't because my teachers are poor uh, teachers. They're fantastic. <laughs> uh, and we've done so much training around online learning, you wouldn't believe. So 
it isn't it isn't that it's just that i'm being honest <laughs> and i think a lot of us are not being honest a lot of us aren't testing for understanding even when they come back to school so we don't actually realize just how poor online learning is and um, so then nothing- if, so the reality then in, in we we kind of make ourselves feel better with this phrase of distance learning but the reality is for most of the past 12 months most kids have basically just not had school well, we had September, we had the first yeah. term, didn't we, this year, which was so great because it, 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 we were able to get school back. Now, uh, of course, what it means is because uh, attendance, you know, attendance is an issue for disadvantaged kids in schools. And when there is a possibility of not attending, some families will take uh, will take advantage of that and, um, and not send their child into school. So attendance in lots of schools has dropped massively. Uh, and of course, they're the very kids who you need to have in school. Uh, the, the, what this is, what's happened is that now the rich and the poor, the divide has, uh, has has increased massively. Um, we don't talk about that. We tend to talk about things like uh, free school meal vouchers or getting laptops to disadvantaged families because that's an obvious thing. Get them food, get them a laptop. But okay, so fine, we give them a laptop. But when lots of disadvantaged kids don't show up at all for the lesson, it doesn't matter that they have the laptop. In fact, they're using the laptop to get on Snapchat. Now, this will be a problem in all schools. And um, and sometimes they'll show up to lessons and sometimes they don't. And sometimes it's because they're on Snapchat, sometimes it's because they're asleep. You know, we, we even have problems where children might not have a shower for a whole week. Um, they, they don't get changed out of their pajamas for a whole week. Like these are issues that exist in disadvantaged areas uh, that nobody's talking about. There's a lot of busy work going on in, in in people's living rooms. So the children look like they're busy, but they're not necessarily learning very much. That's what I would stress. And I think that parents don't realize this because they hear the teacher talking and the child seems to be doing something and they figure learning is going on. But for those of us who know the game of learning really well, (laughs) it is very hard to make learning happen happen without checks for understanding and being able to hold them to account. And you can't do that long distance, it's impossible. So you're uh, a newly elected, relatively newly elected MP from the governing Conservative Party. You're also an ex-teacher. And you recently put your name on a letter expressing concerns about the length of time schools were being kept shut. What are your worries? Yeah, so I think during the first lockdown, um, people's main concern was about our children missing out on their academic education. And obviously, our schools had to very quickly put in place online learning, something that they weren't used to doing. And then when schools returned fully in September, uh, we saw lots of reports about how children have fallen behind academically, uh, how the attainment gap had widened, those kind of things. And obviously, they are very important concerns, and it will take us a long time to address those issues. But I think this lockdown, The feeling from children, from parents, from teachers is much more concern about our children's emotional and mental well-being uh, and their ability to cope, really. So, yes, academic concerns are important, but I think right now we're looking at a crisis in in mental health, in confidence, uh, in engagement with society. And I think that's why we need to get our schools back so quickly, because uh, the longer this goes on, I think our children are at risk of serious psychological harm. And I think there's lots of evidence out there that shows that those kind of harms that happen in childhood do very much have implications for adult life. So 
Yes, pandemic concerns are important, but I think right now we're looking at something uh, even more damaging to our children's well-being. I guess it's also about the length of time, because when it was there was the initial crisis, people sort of it was understandable that there'd be a temporary pause in normal life. But it's now a year since the pandemic started, and some school kids have been out for most of that. Um, I guess it, it comes a point where it just has gone on too long. Yes, absolutely. And in that first lockdown. Um, you know, there were genuine concerns about children's physical safety. Uh, we didn't have much information about COVID. Uh, fortunately, we've seen that it's a disease that is, is very, very harmless to children in the scheme of things. But I think there was an understanding in that first lockdown that we didn't know what we were dealing with and we needed to, to, to um, you know, it's better to be safe, safe than sorry, really. But I think, yes, people, when schools did go back in, in September, uh, and then even though we had rising rates, particularly in the north of England, over that term, there was very much, um, you know, the understanding that we're keeping schools open. And in my patch, you know, we, we had very high rates in October, November, but the schools did stay open. And while some of the schools in my constituency did have se several bubbles closed, um, you know, sometimes whole year groups closed, uh, it was difficult, but they carried on. So I think at this time, um, especially in the dark winter months, it's cold, it's snowed a lot up here. Um, it's just much more difficult psychologically um, to get to grips with. But having said that, just having the announcement yesterday that we'll try and open them from the 8th of March does make a difference because we know what we're aiming for now. Um, it, it, it is a number more weeks, but it is just a few more weeks. And I think if we can make sure that happens, then that will be a, a real bonus for our kids. Yesterday, I spoke to Alex Gutentag, a public school teacher from Oakland, California, to find out what was going on in California schools. So. I have been teaching since 2013, and really the best part of teaching is getting to be in a community, forming relationships with kids, and making education a positive experience through projects or experiential learning. Um, and since March in California, schools have largely been shut down, public schools. So what we're seeing now is most of those pieces of um, teaching and education and experience for kids that make school a positive or generative place to be are mostly gone and the remaining pieces are online. Just to check then, so have all of the public schools in California been closed for pretty much the whole year? Pretty much most of the schools in California have been closed. I think it affected uh, more than 90% of kids. And is there any plan in California, as far as you know, to reopen them? Where are we, what are we looking at? Right now, there isn't a plan. A lot of the plan is going to depend on union negotiations between the state and the union and also between individual districts and the unions. What has been said by the governor, Gavin Newsom, was that even if all teachers in California got a COVID vaccine, they wouldn't necessarily push to reopen right away. And in some cities like LA and San Francisco, the teachers unions are saying that they won't consider reopening until kids get a vaccine as well. As far as we know then, this could go for really quite a long time. We could go through the summer or into after the summer and or even longer. Yeah, I think a lot of um, hope right now is that potentially in fall 2021, there could be school reopenings, um, but it will probably be a long phased in process with a hybrid model and um, slow opening based on 
levels of student need, age, et cetera. There's definitely not a full reopening on the horizon for this spring in California. Give us a sense of, of what this means in the life of a child. The first factor is definitely their mental health. So for kids right now, um, we're seeing a severe mental health crisis. I think the CDC has estimated that for adolescents, there's been a 30% increase in visits to e the ER for mental health issues. In Las Vegas, just yesterday, they announced that they were going to move to reopen schools because they actually had a surge of student suicides. Um, they had over 3,000 calls, I think, about student self-harm and suicidal ideation. And they actually had 18 children take their own lives during the course of school closures. Um, meanwhile, of course, in Las Vegas, casinos had been open since the summer, way before plans for reopening schools. And then there's, of course, physical health concerns because for also low-income kids, a lot of schools, community schools, provide health clinics that have dental screenings and vision screening opportunities. Um, and kids might not have access to that during distance learning. We also know that education levels, literacy, that's all heavily correlated with lifespan. It's correlated with all kinds of outcomes for kids like employment, future employment, future encounters with law enforcement, incarceration, unwanted pregnancy, domestic violence, all of these things that really affect physical health and lifespan in the long term. Do you feel like this is talked about a lot? Um, do you think it's not talked about enough? And how is it being weighed against the advantages of keeping schools closed in the kind of fight against the pandemic? What we're seeing is a focus on the single metric of COVID cases to the exclusion of these other metrics of public health and also ex exclusion of metrics of public health that are affecting kids as opposed to what um, the population that COVID affects more, which is the elderly. So there's a lack of foresight, I, I think, in terms of building up our long-term public health for the next generation. I think if people saw, you know, graphs and case numbers around the challenges facing kids weighed against graphs and case numbers around COVID, they might have a slightly different impression about the risks that were being kind of forced on the younger generation that it's our responsibility as adults to protect. One issue with this is also uh, child abuse because school sites are also the largest reporters of suspected child abuse in the US. So it's usually teachers and school staff who report suspected abuse because they have to be trained on recognizing signs. And with school closures, one thing we've seen is that reports of suspected abuse have gone down because teachers don't have physical access to kids and they also don't have informal time with kids when disclosures might usually happen. So reports of suspected abuse have gone down, but cases of ERs seeing severe child abuse have gone up. So there's a lot of functions that schools serve in terms of suspected um, uh, detection of abuse, and that's not being fulfilled right now. So I again, I think that 
Um, this isn't being talked about enough. And if we were going to weigh things like um, student suicide, um, child abuse against just raw COVID data, there might be a different consideration in mind in terms of risk management for different parts of the population. I think it's clear from those three perspectives that the impact of the pandemic and the response to it has been enormously. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Serious for families, for teachers, and perhaps most of all for children themselves. But the pandemic is a serious situation. We're dealing with life or death questions. Ultimately, do these three people think that it was the right decision to close those schools, or do they not? I asked them each that question. So, if the autumn lockdown managed to you managed to get through that um, in your patch uh, with schools open, how confident are you? that we needed to close schools this time round. I mean, in France, schools are all open and rates are coming down. You know, is this a knife edge kind of moral decision? And how confident are you that we made the right one? Um, well, I think the crucial difference this time was the new variant and uh, the fact that it was spreading so quickly and the unknowns around whether or not it was more harmful 
you know, how quickly it would overwhelm the hospitals. And again, in the winter, our hospitals are already under pressure every year. So I think that was a crucial factor. And although we had brought rates down in certain parts of the country, it was still the case that, that hospitals uh, were struggling. So I think that was the crucial factor. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, we'll always be able to look back with hindsight and say, was that the right decision on the day? But, you know, I do feel for those making decisions. There's, there are so many unknowns. We don't know how this will pan out. So, you know, I completely understand that that was a decision that, that had to be made. But I think, you know, looking at the bigger picture, we need to think in the long term, how do we recover from this? And one of the things we need to do is look at what do schools give to our children? And it isn't just academic education. And I think, you know, this period of time, as damaging it is as it is for our children, we need to use it to look at uh, how we're going to address uh, those concerns coming forward. So um, should we have closed schools in January? Um, I don't think the government had a choice. Will we look back and say we could have made a different decision? Maybe, but it's too early to tell. I wonder, because I think of you, perhaps uh, unfairly, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think of you as part of a group of um, Tory MPs that are sort of concerned about bigger values than the economy um, and are keen to kind of restate those. And I think this has been a really interesting question on that the, the last 12 months you know how do we balance different values in our society um you know and, and in a way that group has been tested here because in, in a sense there's a sort of national community spirit all coming together saving lives ethic around lockdowns but then as you say things like relationships families education you know the core kind of social fabric of our society is basically being decimated by this have you found it hard to navigate that kind of moral conundrum? Yes, I, I, that's a very good question. Yes, I have. And I think the reason for that is that over recent years, um, we've almost stopped talking about morality in, in public life. And actually, this crisis has, has exposed that we are very much still a deeply moral nation because the concept of all of us sacrificing to save the lives of others is actually a very moral concept. Where I think the difficulty has arisen is that we have, as a society, and this isn't a political point, but a cultural point, we've become very, um, almost obsessed with what we can measure. So we can measure the length of people's lives. We can measure the number of people that die. Can we measure uh, people's sense of fulfillment? No, that's much more difficult. But, it, but is, it, is it important? Yes, it is. You know, why do we live? It's not just to avoid death. Uh, we live for all sorts of reasons, and a lot of those are relational. You know, there are relationships with our, our family, our friends, our work colleagues. And, there, you know, there are lots of studies to show the impacts of loneliness and social, social isolation. Um, so, yes, this crisis has, has thrown all those things, um, you know, up in the air, really. And I think some people have tried to, to, to make a division between health, the economy, and, you know, which is it more important to say. I think that's almost a, a false division. The real division is... How much um, long-term harm are we willing to do for short-term gain? And there's no, you know, there's no right answer to that question. We have to take decisions now to save lives now that we know will cause harm in the future. And it's that's the balance that we're looking at. And that's the case with schools. If we close schools now, we may reduce community transmission. We may reduce the number of people who end up in hospital and die. No, that's a good thing to stop that happening. But we know that we will cause long-term harm to our children. Now, where's balancing that? There's no, there's no scientific answer to that. That's a moral answer. Um, I think those are the kind of questions that we need to be asking going, going forward. And again, in school life, we've become obsessed with measuring outcomes in terms of GCSE and A-level results. 
But actually, schools provide way more than that. They prepare our children to build, grow, and maintain relationships for the rest of their lives, to be resilient, all those things that you can't get a job without those skills. You can't have a, a successful family life without those schools, without those skills. And that's what we should be looking at in terms of how do we rebuild our children's lives? Not just how do we make sure they pass GCSE maths, um, yeah. but how do we restore their confidence? How do we re-engage them? How do we build resilience? How do we um, address the situation where I think there, the, um, there was a study last week that showed one in six teenagers now have a mental health problem. I mean, the waiting list for children mental health services were already very, very long before this crisis. Now they're going to be huge. How are we going to address that? So I think, yes, that there are, this is a moral, this is a crisis that needs a moral, um, a moral direction as well as a scientific one. As you've sort of witnessed this from the school perspective over the past 12 months, have you been convinced by the moral case for closing schools or, or, not, or haven't you? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a politician, so I can't say. Um, all I would say is that we need to be honest about uh, the repercussions of the decisions that we're making. So it may be that all of what I've just said and the divide growing between the rich and the poor and the fact that most of our children haven't learned very much is the price we need to pay in order to deal with COVID. That may be correct, I don't know. But what I don't like is the fact that we're pretending that schools are just fine, that uh, children are all learning online, um, and that everything is, uh, is almost as it was. We have to be truthful, and then we can compare and make that moral case. At the moment, it's impossible to make a moral case because we're not really being honest about what's happening in schools. And I guess as the longer it goes on, the more urgent that becomes. I mean, I said it's been nearly a year. It's been nearly a year since the pandemic started, certainly. Um, we, do you feel we're getting to the point where it's becoming an emergency and we just need to bring kids back to school, even if that has a negative effect on the pandemic? Oh, look, I don't know. It's hard because I can't say I'm not a scientist and I don't know what kind of negative effect it would have. Um, I mean, you know, I, I was always, I was just talking to a member of my staff and saying, because he's very much believes that uh, the vaccine should not go to teachers um, because it seems silly. Obviously, it should be going to people who are vulnerable and teachers are not on the whole generally vulnerable. Um, on the other hand, I was saying, yeah, but if they give us the vaccine and they open up the schools, <laughs> then at least they'll open up the schools, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I just want us to be honest about what is actually happening. And our children are in a lot of trouble. And I worry about our country in 10 to 15 years. A number of our children may end up enumerate and illiterate. I mean, and, and this sounds like an exaggeration. It is not an exaggeration. Look, first of all, you've got the current year 12s and year 11s. When you don't take exams, you don't have that six months preparation time. You don't have that impetus. They're not able to, th there are certain peaks of learning that happen throughout uh, your school career. And that happens around GCSEs. It happens at A-level. It happens around year six with SATs. And then it also happens right at the beginning of school when you're learning how to read at five and six. And there are certain groups of kids, two sets of groups, like two years in each on each of those groups, that really have missed out massively. And then there's just everybody else who's also missed out. And we also need to remember, I mean, actually you made the point that they've been away for nearly a year. But in many ways, you're sort of right. I mean, I said, well, we did have last term, but actually we were sending home groups of kids all the time. You know, schools were half empty. I heard stories about schools that would have one year group in. 
So they'd have sent six year groups home and they had one year group left. And we would, again, tell ourselves the lie of schools are open. But actually, you're right. If, if only one uh, one group is in out of out of seven, you are essentially closed. And um, and I think mm. we bubbled according to classes rather than years. So we'd only have to send home the form group. But there was one form group that got hit a couple of times. So they missed an entire month of school. So it's I don't know. It's, it's very hard. You know, at what point are you likely to say enough is enough? Oh, I don't know if I'll ever say enough is enough. I mean, look, I, I hate what we're, the situation we're in, but I suppose I need to accept that they know how many people are in the hospitals, they know what the situation is like, and they're doing what they feel is right. Whether or not that's right, should we have locked down in the way that we did? I don't know. Um, should, it, should we have taken a route of isolating the vulnerable and the old and having things c continue as normal? In a way, we'll only ever really know that in, say, maybe 10 years. When we look back, um, and if anybody ever allows us to count the, 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 people, who, the, the people who died of cancer and uh, diabetes and all of that, if we ever are allowed to look at the impact on the children and how they, what, how they have suffered, and, and on business, you know, when I see the number of high street shops that have now permanently closed, and I wonder about when we go back, what's going to happen? You know, the high street won't exist anymore because, well, it's, it's, not, it's no longer there. All the shops are closed. So uh, in a way, we'll only know that later. At the moment, I suppose I trust uh, in those who know more than I do uh, about these things and who are advising us. And I'll do, as, I'll do as I'm told. Are you worried about the sort of centrality of technology in all this? It, it feels like the whole lockdown concept would only really have happened thanks to Zoom because it, it enables us to be at least somewhat connected. Do you worry that this is going to have an influence in the future and that this, this sort of we're, we're going to start expecting that education can happen through a screen? Children are special. They need a classroom and a teacher and nothing can ever replace that. And one good thing to come out of all of this is that it is finally put to bed the idea that technology can replace a teacher. It simply can't. And all the more so for children who are from disadvantaged backgrounds. And mm -hmm. I think people are just kidding themselves. They don't realize. They think busy work is real learning and it's not. Um, and so what I always say to families is try and use, try and give them support at home Try and keep an eye on their what they're doing on the internet. Ask them questions about what they've learned after they've learned it, if you can, because obviously lots of parents are working and so it's very difficult. Uh, get them a subscription to Hegarty Maths if they're in secondary school. Get them a subscription to either SmartTick or to IXL if they're in primary school and they can do tons and tons of maths. Get them reading loads. And if you have time and are able to, sit down and read with them. One of you reads a paragraph out loud, the other one reads a paragraph out loud. And even if they're 14, do that with them, especially if they're a reluctant reader. This is a great opportunity over lockdown to try and get them back into reading, for instance, or to get them to do loads of maths. Is it your view that they should have done something different and that they should have tried to keep schools open the whole time? Or, I mean, what should they have done in your view? I think schools should have been open. I think that looking at the data around transmission it's it's clear that overall um, children are not largely responsible for viral transmission and that in places where schools have been open 
um, there is not a connection between schools and community spread. Um, and so, in fact, sometimes school sites uh, levels of COVID are less than community levels. And if anything, um, school site levels will simply reflect community spread, but not be a center of community spread. So in the absence of evidence that school openings and kids are responsible for um, viral transmission, I think it's been really irresponsible to have schools be closed. And I think that the impact is something that's not just going to affect kids, um, teachers, and parents, but it's going to have and touch every member of the society at some point because there's larger ramifications both now and in the future. So if someone who, who felt strongly the other way was talking to you now, they might say, so are you saying that we should allow more people to die in exchange for letting more kids go back to in-person learning? Is, I mean, is that what it comes down to, do you think? What, what the equation is actually amounting to right now is that in the long term, there will be more loss of life from having schools closed than we would have from having them open. Um, I think that in the US, um, we've seen um, some places that have more stringent lockdowns like California versus Florida that hasn't. And in Florida, schools have been open, but these states are, are doing a comparable um, and California is doing probably even worse. What I'm really interested in is to get a sense of whether this, this makes you like an outlier in California. I mean, talk, you mentioned that your fellow teachers are very anxious about going back to in-person learning and are worried about catching it. What about your friends, other people from your peer group? Do most people think that school closures are the right thing to do? Or do you sense that there is a a large group of people who are against it. I think there are probably in California a majority of people who think that schools should be closed. Um, but I think that there are many parents and people who are against it. Um, but unfortunately, with lockdown, everyone's isolated and siloed. So it's hard to necessarily tell all the time what people are thinking and how to connect with those people. Um, I do think that in terms of teachers... But at your school, for example? Um, vast majority of people that I would work with or talk to would think that schools should stay, stay closed. Um, right, so they'll see this, this video and think, what is Alex talking about? You know, why, why is she saying this, do you think? Uh, yeah, but I think that for me, I think this is a, you know, it's a disaster and it doesn't really matter at this point what the majority opinion might be or what other people might think is what they have to think or what they have to say because someone has to step up and say that this is not right and that this um, needs to either change or, and if we can't change it at least have a record that people watch what was going on and that people knew some people knew it was wrong. Do you feel you're taking a risk either within your friendship group or your professional group for speaking out like this? I think that's a potential, but I think that it's much more important to speak out because it's not really about me. It's really about um, the students and what they have to go through because the consequences for me um, would be very small, but the consequences that a lot of people are going through in the United States in terms of expanding inequality, poverty, and unemployment are extremely severe.
So it sounds like looking forward that you're not currently winning this argument. Uh, if, if the governor is saying that even after vaccination of all of the teachers, that won't be enough because um, there may be community spread or um, he wants to wait until there are pediatric vaccines. As far as I know, no one's even started work on a pediatric vaccine. So that, that could be very many months away. Um, it doesn't sound like it's going in your direction. No, it's not going in my direction. Um, but that's why I think it's important to speak out, important for people who feel the same, whether they're parents, teachers, or just community members, to know that they're not alone. Um, and if people have doubts about school closures, to know that they're not alone. I also think it's just important to document um, what's happening to kids and what's happening in general in the US in terms of um, class disparities growing and why they're going to be growing, because Ultimately, people will probably look back on this time and see what the historical record was and see how we interpreted it. So even if we can't change it now, I think uh, maintaining that there are some of us who understand the impact, who are watching the impact, and that who can see the devastating effects um, is also important for future generations so that the same mistakes aren't made in the future. That was Alex Gutentag from Oakland in California. Thanks to her, thanks also to Catherine Burbell Singh and to Miriam Cates MP for sharing their thoughts. Clearly, the impact on kids and on families of this pandemic period is going to be enormous, but there are no easy decisions. All we can hope is to be clear-eyed about what the trade-offs really are. Don't forget you can watch all of our podcast interviews on our YouTube channel, Find us under Unheard and make sure to subscribe for all the latest. Thanks for joining. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.